We are uh, continuing on in our series of Matthew, but we're taking a week break from it and uh, looking at kind of a, um, a single sermon kind of by itself on Philippians 3, and so you guys can turn over there. Um, we decided with the, all the snow stuff and how that messed things up, um, Santo has a sermon for well, it would have been last week, and then I would have preached the next week. And so anyways, we're, we're back on schedule as long as I do this uh, separate sermon, which I think is going to be really good for us, hopefully. Um, it's kind of what I was able to bring to some of the youth um, at the youth retreat uh, two weekends ago. And so Philippians 3, um, I think what it's really going to do is kind of help us to keep the main thing the main thing. And it helps us to keep, uh, once again, Jesus at the forefront of our lives and of our pursuits and everything that we are and everything that we're doing, Jesus is right there, um, right standing in front of us. And throw, So through this passage, I hope that that will be the case for us. And so why don't we stand as we read God's word, um, Philippians 3, and we're just going to look at the first 11 verses. All right, so listen with me as we read God's word, okay? Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for confidence, such confidence." If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want you to know Christ I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. You guys can take a seat. All right, so um, I want to begin by sharing uh, just an illustration uh, that kind of tees up our, our sermon here, our look at Philippians 3. And it was from a movie from when I was growing up uh, called Gone in 60 Seconds. Anybody seen that movie, Gone in 60 Seconds, right? Okay, I don't, I don't recommend as a disclaimer to go and steal cars, but this movie is about uh, stealing cars. And um, there is a retired car thief um, who is played by Nicolas Cage, and uh, he is basically retired. He's out of the business. He's gone and tried to clean up his life, right? He's saying, I'm, I'm going away from this, and I'm going to clean up my life and make it right. But something happens. His brother gets in trouble. His brother, who is still in the business of stealing cars, took on a job that was too big for him. And so the brother, the older brother, is forced to make a decision. 
either he can stay clean and stay focused on the life that he is living in, in, a, in a good way and run after those things, or he can help his brother and save his life by going and doing this one last job that he botched up. Well, we, most of us know what happens. Nicholas Cage goes and does this one last job, even though he knows that this is a lifestyle that he chose to leave. He chose to leave that lifestyle, and now he was being tempted to go back to that for the sake of saving his brother. And this one last job, if he fails, then his brother is probably going to die. And so he's going to lose his brother, and he goes and saves his brother, and everything works out, right? But it's interesting how many movies and how many books and how many TV shows look at this topic. They take a character, and they take that character, and they talk about how they used to live this bad life and all these bad things. And now they've cleaned their life up, right? But now the character is wrestling with returning back to this life that they once lived. There is a luring and an enticing, a temptation to go back to this life that they once lived. But similarly, today as we look at Philippians 3, we're going to see how a group of Christians that Paul is talking to is being enticed being lured to go back to their old ways. Now, it may not be car stealing, but they're being lured back to their own sinful and destructive ways of life. This old religion that was void of Jesus Christ. And what Paul does here is he reminds them that there is nothing there for you. Even though you're being lured back to this, there's nothing for you there. All that you will find there is hurt leaving empty and worse off than before. And so what he does is he reminds the church and reminds us that it is only Christ who can satisfy fully. It is only Jesus Christ that can satisfy every longing and desire that they have. And he alone is the all-satisfying one. So let's dive into our passage at hand As we look into this, Philippians 3, and the first point is the temptation to go back. See, there is a temptation for these believers to go back to something. I think we would all agree that it would be great that if once we became Christians, we never struggled with our old life, right? We never struggled with sin again. We never struggled with the the habits and the patterns that we used to struggle with that were sinful and destroying our lives, that we never had to deal with that again. Just like a flick of a magic wand. Once you become a Christian, boom, you're totally perfect. You totally have no struggles. There's no temptation there to go back. But we know that's not the case. Though we are saved by God's grace, and though we are made new through Jesus Christ, we are becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. And we still struggle with what the Bible calls the flesh, the old man or the old woman inside of us, the one that wants to go back to those things. We still struggle with that. Though Jesus is helping us out day by day to live and to be more and more like him. And it's a battle that we fight day in and day out. And that Satan and his enemies and our flesh are warring against us, even though they know that they are defeated because of Jesus. So Paul, he's painfully aware of this as he talks about this in chapter 3. He knows that there are evil people out there. He calls them wolves or dogs. These people that are leading the church astray. Same thing today. And he is saying to them, guys, watch out. 
There is something important for you to see. So Paul, what he does, he encourages them to stand firm. But he kind of does this at first in, I think, kind of an odd way. He does this by playing his enemy's game. He says, okay, you want to play that game? Let's go. Let's play that game. And so what he does, as you see in verse 3, I'll read it again for us. He says, put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so he says, okay, if you want to play that game of going down and listing your credentials, going down and listing your accolades and your awards, let's go. Let's see what it is. He lists off his resume, right? His resume to a Jewish person would be pretty impressive. He's the man according to Judaism and the Jewish religion. And we won't go into all these different things that he lists out, a Hebrew of Hebrews or as to the, as to the law, a Pharisee. But these things were an awesome resume for a Jewish person. They would be very impressed with these things. They would look at that and say, wow, Paul, he is the man. He'd be like the Navy SEALs of the Jews. Best of the best. But to be clear, what he's doing here is he's not endorsing this type of thinking. He's actually showing how stupid it is. But he's taking that at his own game and saying, okay, if you want to play that game, I have all the reason in the world to boast in the flesh. I did everything. I ran down those roads. And Paul What he's doing is he is dealing with folks now who are Christians and now being tempted to go back to this old lifestyle, this old idolatrous religion, this religion that is void of Jesus Christ. And so commentators, basically what they do is they point to some uh, type of legalistic Judaism that he is calling out here. And Paul is saying, guys, I've ran down that road as fast and as hard as possible, and there is nothing there for you. I've went down that road. You can't say, for example, that, that uh, Paul didn't try his hardest to be a good Jew. He tried his hardest to be a good Jew. He gave 110%. He reached the pinnacle. He reached the top of what it would be to be a good Jew. He went all in. All bets were in. And yet he knows from experience that it wasn't worth it. He knows from experience that there is danger in following that old man or that old woman, that flesh that calls us away from Jesus Christ. And so I want to begin by just asking a few questions of you guys to think about in your hearts and in your minds today. And the first one is this. What competes for your satisfaction in Christ as a Christian? Really, when you get down to it, what competes for your satisfaction in Jesus? Is it your money? Is it your job or your career? Or is it your education? Or is it simple pleasures or family or whatever it is? What competes for your joy in Christ? Another question for you to think about. In what ways do you feel most tempted to turn away from Christ and to go back to your old sinful ways? So what what are those things for you? And they may not be the same from person to person. Maybe for one person it's a particular struggle that they really dealt with in the past. Maybe before they were a Christian they were addicted to pornography or addicted to drugs. And that's the temptation for them to go back to those things. 
Or maybe it's uh, just a constant underlying worry or anxiety that just is about you, that you are an anxious person. You're anxious about finances. You're anxious about your kids. You're anxious about this or that. And though God is working in you and trying to help you with that, you still are, are tempted to go back to those things. And it takes your eyes off of Jesus. What is it for you? And one last question. Why are you tempted to go after these things instead of Christ? What's the benefit? What's the payoff for going back to these things? Is it a brief momentary pleasure? A momentary peace? A momentary satisfaction or comfort that you think that God cannot provide? Why? Why do we go back to those things? Questions for us to think about. Maybe even asking a spouse or a friend to say, would you help me process some of these questions together? Let's talk about them. And remember this, that Satan, he is crafty. He is deceiving. That's what he does. He lies. Satan is the father of lies. He is crafty and deceiving. And what he does is he dresses up things that are dangerous and sinful and destructive as beautiful. He takes things that are awful and dresses them up in beauty to lure and entice Christians. Listen to this verse from a song uh, from a Christian hip-hop artist named Lecrae. He says this, I know it's going to kill me, but I just can't let it go. And the taste is so appealing, it's got a grip upon my soul. These honey-dipped lies mesmerize me. Pride's got its crooked fingers twisted all inside me. Fools walk the path I'm on, never to be seen again, sipping on seduction while we're eating on some secret sin. Not a lot of love and mercy, says the whisper in my ear. And I know I should be over this, but I ain't seeing clear. And I ain't leaving here unless somebody save me. Walk into my grave, letting evilness enslave me. Evil looks so lovely, covered in her lace of lies. And this silky smooth seduction just manipulates my mind. Her fabrical fabrication is fueling my fascination. While I'm intoxicated, she starts her assassination. I'm losing all my honor and my years to the merciless, giving all my life away, but I'm just so immersed in this. What a picture of what Satan does of what our flesh does, that temptation to go back to that which we know is only going to bring death and destruction and hurt. And yet how, how seductive it is, how enticing and how luring, how subtle. I think this, that the older that I am as a Christian in the Lord, the more mature I get, the more sin and its temptation becomes subtle. Satan actually becomes more and more subtle. It's not the uh, outright sin that he, he puts before me. It's something that I think at first is beautiful or is okay or is good. And yet when I take the bait, I realize, oh man, that was a subtle trick from Satan. He uses subtlety, especially the more mature that we get in the Lord. But Paul is saying to them And to us today, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't go back to these things. It's not worth it. And so Paul now shows us the way that to not go back is actually to stay put. It's to stay put and to dive deeper into Jesus Christ and to know him. That's how we don't go back to our old ways. 
So we see that the crux of the passage is here in verse 7 and 8. Look with me in verse 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, we remember what we were saying earlier. That resume that, that Paul rattles off, it would be very impressive in a Jew's eyes. To a Jew, he was rich. He had all the wealth in the world, all the status in the world. But the conclusion that Paul comes to to say that all of these things are rubbish, trash, garbage, not worth it whatsoever. He says, I look at all these things and it's pointless. All of the popularity, all of the acclaim, all of the world's uh, awards and recognition. He says there's no point in it. One commentator uh, puts it this way. Paul had no recourse but to add up his advantages and achievements one by one and admit that the total was zero. He added up all these things. Th- this one and this one and this award and this status thing. And he said what it was? Zero. Worthless worthless. But why does Paul say this? Why does Paul say that these things which the world around him was saying, this is what you've got to do to find life. This is what you've got to do to be satisfied. Why did he say it's worthless? Well, there's three statements in our text that explain why. One, for the sake of Christ. Two, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And the last one, in the order that I may gain Christ. See, if, if you are, are, are following along with me, you see that in his fight for sat, being satisfied in Christ, there are only two categories. Only two categories. The one is Christ. The second is everything else. That's why he says that he has lost all things, which is everything but Christ, to gain what? Jesus. To gain Jesus, there are only two things, Jesus and everything else in the world compared to that. But also notice this. He's just not saying to say no to something. He's not just saying say no to sin, but he's actually saying say yes to Jesus. See, a lot of times we focus on what God tells us in the Bible to say no to. But we don't give a lot of thought to what he says yes to, what he gives us. I mean, the riches of God's grace are given to us all throughout the scriptures. And he has given us so many things, but so many times all we focus on is what he says no to. We just think he's a killjoy. We just think he's to kill our joy rather than he's here to fulfill our joy. Jesus is saying, say yes, or think about all the things I've said yes to. So how can you and I turn from these constant temptations, these constant arrows and fiery darts that Satan is throwing at us? And I would say that we do that by believing that Christ is better and by pursuing him as such. So by believing that he is better than anything the world around me has to offer and by pursuing him in that way, Christ must be our greatest satisfaction our greatest joy and aim must be to know him and to make him known just like Paul says here in the text 
that everything else in our lives would pale in comparison to Jesus. Listen to this quote. It says, May we be like Paul in seeing Christ alone as our wealth and in being determined to evaluate everything else in light of the full satisfaction that only he provides. And only he provides. So the question is for us, do we see Jesus that way? Do we see him as the most satisfying thing in all of the earth? And you know what? We can say yes to that question. Yeah, I think Jesus is the most satisfying thing in all the world. But you know what really determines whether or not that's true? Your life's actions. Because your life's actions, how you behave, speaks more truth to what you believe than what's coming out of your mouth. So, for example, you and I may say at the beginning of a new year, we want to have a goal of losing weight and of eating right, okay? And we say, that's my New Year's resolution. I want to lose weight and I want to eat right. But then, if our actions say, uh, I'm going to sit in front of the TV, I'm going to eat uh, sun chips, well, that's what I do at night, and a whole bag of them, and I, I eat sun chips or whatever it is, bonbons or, or you know, Swiss cake rolls or whatever, and I don't spend time exercising, I just watch TV, well, what does that say? That doesn't say I really want to lose weight. That doesn't say I really want to you know, eat better. My actions are actually saying something contradictory to my New Year's resolution. And in the same way, if our, if our actions are saying one thing, that we're not satisfied in Christ, actually we believe that other things are more satisfying than him, and our mouth is saying, Jesus, you're the most satisfying thing in all the earth, it's just lip service. You're talking, but words aren't coming out of your mouth. But let me clarify something for us. I think it's an important point. You may be saying, okay, I'm tracking with you. Jesus is supposed to be the most satisfying thing in all the earth to my life. But what about things like sports, school, relationships, money, kids, simple pleasures, good things? Can I glorify God by enjoying these things and by participating in them? I mean, I understand when you're talking about sinful things. But what about good things that Jesus has given us? Is it wrong to find satisfaction in those? And I think that good, that's a good question to ask. But the crux of the matter is this, and follow along with me. When the thing becomes an end in itself for my satisfaction, it's wrong and it's an idol. But when this thing is a means to an end, namely my deeper satisfaction in Jesus, it is a good thing. Okay? So let me, let me explain this with an illustration. If, for example, I love playing football, or insert whatever kind of thing that you're thinking about that you love to do. If I love playing football, and my enjoyment of playing and, and participating in this sport leads to my deeper satisfaction in Jesus, that's a good thing. That, that pleasure in that sport is being used in a right way to glorify and honor God. But... If I love football and give all my time and attention and my efforts to perfecting my football skills and doing well at that sport, and I love that thing in and of itself, it's not helping me to love Jesus more, then it's wrong. And it's an idol. See, if that thing is an end in and of itself, that's when it becomes a bad thing. Even though it's a good thing. Like by God. It's not something sinful, right? I can enjoy apple pie. But if I enjoy apple pie just for the sake of enjoying apple pie, it's not going to honor God. It's not going to help me be more satisfied in God. 
But if when I eat that apple pie, I'm like, man, Jesus, this apple pie is so good. Thank you for having someone cook this for me. And thank you for that. I can enjoy this with my taste buds and, and, and helps you to be more satisfied in Jesus. That's a good thing. Okay. So that's the crux of the matter there. A means to a deeper satisfaction in Christ. Let me read to you a quote uh, from Pastor John Piper. He kind of explains this a lot better than I do. He says, how do you make Christ look great in your life and thus not waste it? Here it is. Money is given to you so that you might use money in a way that shows that money is not your treasure. Christ is. Food is given to you so that you might eat it in such a way that it will be plain that food is not your treasure. Christ is. Friends, family are given to you so that you might live with them in such a way that it will be plain to the world that they are not your treasure, Christ is. Computers, toys, houses, lands, cars are given to you so that you might use them in such a way that it will be plain to the world these are not your treasure, Christ is. So I hope you're not hearing, don't enjoy the good, the good things that God's given me. Because that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying these things should help us to be more and more satisfied in Jesus. They help us to be satisfied with Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you guys just want to dive more into that topic, there's a great book by Pastor John Piper called Desiring God. And it talks about this whole idea of being satisfied in God and how that brings honor and glory to him when we are just jacked about who he is and what he has done in our lives. And we are so excited about that that we share that with everybody around us. See, knowing and enjoying and being satisfied in Christ is Paul's ultimate aim. And he explains that to us here in Philippians 3. But also, that should be our ultimate aim as believers, to be satisfied in Jesus now until the day that we die and for all eternity. This is our aim, but we know that it will not come without a fight. We know that we have an enemy. That enemy is real. And what he does is he seeks to destroy our joy in Christ. He seeks to deceive us, And seeks to lead us away from Jesus, just like this church in the early days was tempted to go back to its old form of Judaism. Satan dresses up what is deadly and poisonous in something that is beautiful, trying to get you and I to take the bait. See, sin is enticing. Sin in its very nature is luring. Think about it. That's why, for example, pornography is one of the biggest industries in the world because it lures and entices people by its images. Sin is luring and enticing and yet deadly and poisonous and it will kill us. It tries to tell us that there is something better than Jesus, that we are fools if we're trying to live according to God's way and not the world's way. But God tells us something very different here in Philippians 3. He says, count all that stuff as trash, as garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Let the world call you fools. Let them call you fools. Rather to be a fool for Christ than a fool in this world. 
There's nothing better than Jesus. Nothing more satisfying. And like I said, it's a fight day in and day out. It's a fight that I've been fighting for years upon years upon years. No matter how mature or how old we get in the Lord, we are still going to face this on this side of heaven. We are still going to fight each and every day to find our satisfaction and our joy in him and him alone. So I want to encourage you guys today as we close to run to him and to seek him with everything that you have. The good things that he has put in your life, may they be used not as an end in of themselves, but as a means to further being joyful in the Lord and further being satisfied in him. Let these things be the main thing. Let Jesus be the main thing in our lives as we engage in this new year of 2016. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you uh, just for passages like Philippians 3. Uh, It helps us to just to uh, really evaluate our lives and to see what we're chasing after. Um, It shows us that the things that maybe we're chasing after apart from you really don't satisfy, but it actually brings us hurt and emptiness and pain in our lives. And so God, wherever we are today, I pray that you would please help us. Help us to return to you. Maybe it's for the first time where we just surrender our lives to you. We repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. And we say, Jesus, we want to be satisfied in you. Or maybe it's us as believers for many years now and we're realizing some of the things that we've ran to. Forgive us, Lord, and please help us to be further satisfied in you now, but as we go also into our week, And for the weeks to come, that this would mark our pursuit and aim as Christians, to know you and to make you known. And Jesus, we love you and we pray this in your precious name. Amen. You guys can stand up as we sing our uh, closing song.